Welcome to episode 124 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abul Samad from Navigant Research. And I'm Rebecca Linlin from Rebecca Drives. And Dan is not with us this evening because he is helping his kids with their homework, uh, with some math and book reports, and makes me actually feel pretty good about being old uh, now that my kids are grown and out of the house and I no longer have to deal with trying to help them with their algebra. Those were those were painful days. So I help my 11 year old niece sometimes uh, with her homework because my sister, who is one of the most patient people on earth, just the two of them go at it. It's I've never seen anything like it. I'm like, what? The, the, they, they like become demons at each other. <laughs> oh, it so- sounds just like when my kids are around. You know, it's like they wanted help. But as soon as I tried to give them help, then it's like they just would shut down and would not listen to anything I tried to tell it, it, it's them. It's incredible. It's amazing. So I will step in and it's actually been a lot of fun because uh, like she was learning about qualitative and quantitative information in the science in in science. And I was able to really give her some very concrete examples of, you know, work that I do where we use qualitative and quantitative data and analysis and stuff. And it really stuck with her. So so we have a lot of fun with it. Um but yes, I am um I do not envy Dan his task this evening. (laughs) Yeah. Well and with with that, why don't we move into uh what we've been driving? Yes. So what have you been driving? So I've um, I've had the privilege of having a couple of cars for a number of weeks now for a variety of reasons. But uh, last week I had the 2019 Cadillac XT4, that uh, you know compact crossover that I'm really glad Cadillac did because it provides you know an entry into the brand for singles and smaller households. And I think the styling of it is really dramatic in a very good way. Uh, it's you know, it's clean, it's got some cool headlamps. And I just I was happy every time I looked at it. I wasn't happy every time I drove it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a little bit of a problem, because you know, that's kind of the whole point. (laughs) I just I was disappointed, first of all, with the interior and the materials. And I feel like we say this every week when we talk about General Motors products, but the interior just is not up to snuff. I feel like the accountants just have the last word every time. And I I just was so disappointed in the interior of the XT4. I, the materials, the touch, the fit, the finish. I mean, I just... I was just really disappointed. You know, this car, it, it's, it, I think the base is 41.8. And the one that I had, which was the all-wheel drive premium luxury, goes for 48.685, so almost $49,000. And I want to feel like I'm driving a Cadillac, like that brand, that name. As we've talked about before, you know, in the past, that brand is so iconic. and. I just don't feel like this vehicle reminds the the driver that they're in a Cadillac. The other issue that I had with this, and Sam, I don't think you had the same issue. I, I brought it up last week too. Was the steering 
and the and the feel of it was so loose that I actually felt out of control sometimes. And I think I was try- I kept trying to pinpoint it. I think part of it is that I'm used to speed adjusted steering. So, you know, the faster you go, the tighter the steering becomes. And maybe this has it, but it's so extreme that like as I'm backing out at low speed, the steering wheel just felt so loose and I and just not not in that again at that tight sort of responsive feel that almost I, I I always prefer a little bit heavier steering anyway but this was so light that it wasn't enjoyable it wasn't I didn't I, I didn't have confidence when I was driving it so was it was it like just a, a feeling of being overboosted, or like did it feel like it was disconnected and not, you know, when you turn the wheel, the the, the wheels weren't turning. It was very disconnected. It was okay. very That's, disconnected. I mean, that sounds that sounds more like it's a mechanical problem with that particular vehicle because really? know, I did the I did the the um <clears throat> the the launch drive last year and then drove one for a week earlier this year okay. and did not have that issue. Um, and I think. Hmm. Dan drove one and I don't think he had that issue either. And I haven't heard of anybody else having a similar issue with the steering on the XT4. I, I, okay. So, I mean, it, it could, I don't know. I just, again, I prefer a weightier feel. So it could just be me. It really could just be me. I prefer a weightier feel to my steering and it, and I just, I couldn't get it from this. I just, I, I, I didn't have that. I, I just didn't have that feeling to it. And the whole car sort of, I do remember we had one out at Heels and Wheels back in June and three of us drove it and none of us were thrilled with it. None of us real, and and we were all the target audience. You know, it was, it was, uh, you know, all women as we were Heels and Wheels (laughs) and you know, all in our 40s, uh, early 50s, you know, kids out of the house or no kids, one kid. And we none of us were really impressed with the vehicle. And we all wanted to be. We were all kind of rooting for this vehicle and just didn't didn't love it. But I, I was just not comfortable driving it. Yeah, it sounds like there's definitely something wrong with with that one. Um, you know, when when I drove it, it you know, the steering felt fine. Uh, you know, I thought generally the driving dynamics were pretty good, but I agree with you that the interior is definitely underwhelming. And actually the, the base price is only, it's uh 35.6 or 35.7. Oh. Uh, oh, okay. So I don't know why I have 41 here. Okay. That, that, I think that might be the base price for the, um, for the premium Lux trim level. Mm, so perhaps. there's, there's the luxury and then the premium, premium Lux and, and the sport. Okay. Um, and so that might be the base price for the premium Lux. Right. Um, okay. but, uh, yeah, ba- base price is like just under 36, uh, for the 2020, it, they raised the price by about $700 from, from 2019 models. Oh, wow. Um, so, but yeah, I, I you know, overall, I, I agree with what you said. I'm curious about your thoughts on the, um, the NVH, you know, the noise, uh, levels yeah, in yeah. this car. 
again, I didn't have the, I, all I could think of was I wish it had the Buick quiet tuning (laughs) because my little Coco, my little enclave or encore rather is quiet. Like I like that. I, again, I, I wanted that luxury feel to it and I just didn't have it. I, I could have been driving anything. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. You know, the, the, the biggest issue I had with the X-T4 overall was how much noise was coming through, both from the engine and also road noise when you're on, especially when you're on certain asphalt surfaces Cement, yeah. that, are, that are more textured. Sure. Um, there was a lot of road noise being transmitted through into the cabin. And, you know, for, you know, for, for a Cadillac, you know, or for, for any premium vehicle, you expect that to be much more muted and, exactly. you know, it, it felt like something, you know, that you might pay, you know, eight, 15, $17,000 for not, not $40,000. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, it's, I feel like a, a luxury brand, a luxury branded product should always remind you that you have paid a premium for this that you know that this is that this is why you pay a premium for things and i just was really disappointed because there's so many things i like about it you know the exterior is beautiful i love this size for the brand like i want this car to do well and it, i think it looks great on the road yeah I no sh- it's got a great great stance to it you know really nice proportions Yes. Um, and, and, you know, from the outside, it does look like a premium vehicle. It, it, it and, does. And one of, one of the things I really liked about it, you know, is, uh, you know, the, the long greenhouse, you know, the, the, yes. the side glass extends way back yes. so that when you're sitting in the back seat, you're not sitting in between the rear pillars. You're actually, you actually, when you look over to the side, you actually have glass on the side and you can see out. So you don't have that confined feeling in there like you do in so many other utilities. And, and this one, you know, definitely, you know, does well in that respect. Yes. Nice big sunroof. You know, again, there's things that were really terrific about it from a looks and appearance standpoint, but you know, I love the, the dual exhaust, kind of the big beefy feel to it you know i'm just looking at pictures now of of like the back and it just looks great and i just you know i was really excited to have it for the week and you know hoping that my brief experience with it i back at heels and wheels in june would kind of you know we would be um i i could i could get a better a better feeling to it and man i just you know it was just really underwhelming and and pretty disappointing so yeah, that's, that's, that's too bad because I, I agree with you. I think, you know, Cadillac needed a vehicle like this in its lineup and yes. it's, it's a shame that they didn't really, it seems like they didn't really fully commit to doing it right. You know, they got, they got partway there and then stopped. Exactly. Exactly. They did. And, you know, it's, I I feel like there's just small things. I wanted little Chrome touches where there should be touches. And when, and you know, when you think about other vehicles that we've talked about recently, and again, I feel like we keep going back to like the Hyundai Palisade and the, and the Kia Telluride, because they're just fantastic. Those interiors are beautiful. And, you know, when I think back on like the Mercedes 
GLC interior, you know, or an Audi Q3 or Q5, you know, vehicles that compete directly with the XT4, this interior just doesn't cut it. It's just not enough to move people into this vehicle when there's so much competition in this compact luxury space and really, really good competition. Speaking and of I, which, we'll we'll be talking about, I, I had a chance to drive the Lincoln Corsair last week. Yes. And we'll so be talking about wait. that later. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd love to talk about it now because I think it's a direct competitor and I think it's, okay. um, you know, so tell us all about it. So, yeah, you're right. The, the Corsair is very much a direct competitor to the X-T4. Um, although, you know, interestingly, or, or I guess not really surprisingly, you know, the, the folks from Lincoln did not really talk about the course, the XT4 at all, you know, in their, in their discussions, you know, they were, (laughs) you know, they were targeting, you know, the, the Germans, you know, the, the Q, the Q3 and the X3 and, and the Acura RDX, you know, as their, those are the ones they, they benchmark, you know, for this thing. wise though? I mean, do you think? Um, I, I think, yeah, because, uh, you know, it, it was very clear that what they, you know, what they were not trying to do was be just like them. You know, they, you know, they consider them be just like Cadillac. To, no, no, no oh, the to, Germans. like the Germans and, and, okay. and Acura, um, okay. you know, they, what they wanted to be seen uh, as, is, you know, on a, on a par with them, but in their own distinct way. So, they are not trying, you know, we're, you know, and in, in the, in the review I wrote up, you know, I, I talked about, you know, Cadillac, you know, over the last 15 years, you know, really tried to copy the Germans in, in a lot of ways, you know, they, they wanted yes. to be seen as just like BMW and just like Mercedes and Audi. Yes. And they never quite got there, even though they made some really good vehicles. And what Lincoln has done is something you know, they, they have created a distinctly American flavor, you know, their own American unique, luxury, right? Yeah, their Isn't own their, their yeah. own unique take on luxury that is very premium. It's you know, when you look at it, when you sit in it, it's it's not it's not really anything at all like a BMW or a Mercedes or an Audi or an Acura. But it is something that feels like it might be worth that same kind of price point as those competitive right. vehicles. And well, that's I mean, something aviator, that's where the Cadillac falls short. The aviator interior is a good example. Yeah. And I, and I'm so disappointed. I, I wasn't able to go on the Corsair launch because uh, it would have been fantastic. But I just, I mean, if it's anything like the aviator interior, you know, it's just gorgeous. Yeah. And it's very much like that. You know, it has a lot of that same kind of flavor. Um, you know, obviously it's at a lower price point than the aviator, but, uh, you know, and it's all, you know, they've scaled it down, uh, you know, size wise, you know, it's, it's like a, in a lot of ways, it's like a three quarter scale aviator, but, uh, you know, because it's a two row, it's a compact and, you know, sure. it share it shares its basic platform with the escape, but, you know, this new flexible architecture that, that Ford has developed gives them a lot more freedom to move things around and, and change things. So, you know, it's the same wheelbase as the, uh, as the uh, escape, but it's a little bit wider and it's not quite as tall. So it's got, you know, a little bit sleeker look to it. And, and like the aviator, you know, when you look at it in profile, the roof line kind of slopes down a little bit towards the back, you know, and, you know, it, it, Lincoln's theme is this idea of quiet flight. 
Um, you know, and so, you know, you want, they've, they've tried to craft it into something that looks like it's moving through the air. Um, and, you know, I think, I think they were successful with it. You know, it's got nice sculpted sides, uh, you know, that capture the light really well. And, you know, the, the interior is so much better than the X-T4. I mean, it's night and day difference. There's just, just no comparison. Well, yeah, and, and the price point is almost exactly the same. The, yeah, the starting I mean, price. Yeah, they're they're within a couple hundred dollars uh, right. starting price. Um, you know, as, as you go, as you march up, you know, and add equipment, there's more stuff that's available on the, the the Lincoln that's not available on the Cadillac. Like the Cadillac only has the single engine option, the two liter, right. which is fine. But uh, you know, in the the Lincoln, you have uh, an option for a two point three liter. Uh, there's other equipment that's available that you can't get on the the Cadillac right now. You know, they have their Copilot 360 plus, you know, with their lane centering capability, which is not quite as as sophisticated as Cadillac Super Cruise, but you can't get Super Cruise on an XT4. You can you can get Copilot on the on the Lincoln. So so my I don't think that my XT4 had adaptive cruise control. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me. Which I was shocked about. Yeah, I was shocked. And I mean, I know, don't use it, it a lot, but I just was. It, and yeah. it doesn't come standard on the Lincoln either. You know, you get standard, you get the Copilot 360, the base Copilot 360 package, which is uh, lane centering or lane keeping assist, uh, blind spot monitoring, um, the uh, forward collision alert and automatic emergency braking, um, you know, auto high beams, you know, all that comes standard. And, you know, n all of that is an extra cost option on the Cadillac. So, you get, you get that much standard and then, um, you know, there's an optional package that adds the radar sensor, upgrades the upgrades it to lane centering instead of lane keeping assist uh, and and gives you adaptive cruise control. And, you know, at all, you know, all the way up the equipment, you know, the pricing, the price walk for the Cadillac, you know, a comparably equipped Corsair is similar, but then you can go above and beyond. Uh, what's there but even even at the same price point you know the interior of the lincoln is so much nicer it's, it's a much nicer place to be and sure. you know it's it you know they did a lot of work on the the noise control in there so you know the um and the corsair you've got acoustic side glass on the the front doors um and you know laminated uh windshield there's the double wall uh fire bulkhead uh, like you have in the aviator and in the Explorer, which the escape does not have. Uh, so what that does is it, um, the bulkhead is it's a double wall bulkhead and it creates an air gap in there so that there's less transmission of noise from the engine compartment. Oh, and, nice. And then there's also a full uh, underbody shield. So oh, the whole thing is a much quieter experience, you know, much, much like, uh, you know, much like the aviator was. And it's a it's a much more serene experience when you're driving, and right. yeah, it's it's just a really nice place to be. And it we drove premium. from yeah, and we you know the the um, the reserve model that we drove you know the two point three liter all wheel drive reserve came to just over sixty thousand dollars, which is a little bit higher than wow. you know the top end the XT four. If you do all the options on there, you can get it up to about fifty eight, and so this is a little bit higher. But you know that fifty eight. Uh, for the for the Cadillac, that's only a two liter engine. It's it's a less powerful engine, you know, and it's 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 not as nice an interior, you know. Right. For the you know in the the sixty thousand dollar Lincoln, you have the twenty four way adjustable seats, you know, that have 
adjustable thigh supports that are you know individually adjustable for each leg. It's got massage seats, um, you know, and <laughs> this is one of the, the odd things when I drove the, the X-T4 last time. Uh, it has a massaging seat option, but all it does is, you know, the, um, the lumbar support bladders, you know, inflate. There's three bladders in there that you can inflate. And all it does is inflate them and deflate them in sequence. So it just kind of rolls along your back. And, okay. and the thing is, each time the bladders deflate, you can hear the, the little whoosh out of the back of your oh, seat gosh. as the air rushes out. And then you hear it getting, get, hear them getting pumped up again. And then the oh, whoosh. And whereas in, in the Lincoln seats, you know, it was totally quiet uh, and you don't hear any of that. You know? Yeah. So that's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and then, you know, Compared to the Escape, uh, you know, which shares a lot of its its basic underpinnings with this thing, you know, it's a little bit wider, so you have a little bit more hip and shoulder room. Not not a lot, but you know, just enough that it, that it's noticeable. Um, and you know, one of the one of the things I really like that was uh, different from the Escape, you know, the Escape, the side mirrors are mounted at the base of the A pillars, and so you still have a fairly prominent blind spot there. You know, when you look yes. at the base yep, of the A pillars, even though the yeah. the A pillars on on both, you know, on the new ones are significantly slimmer than on the previous generation, you still have that blind spot at the base of the A pillars, and on the Corsair, the mirrors are actually mounted on the doors, and then there's uh, there's a little quarter window down right at the base of the A pillar oh, there, yep. so you, you have you know noticeably better visibility to the front corners there, uh, right. which is always a good thing, and you know it's funny. You know, I was just in San Francisco three weeks ago uh, driving the, the Lincoln Navigator, you know, um, and, you know, driving that thing around San Francisco and then driving this thing around San Francisco. It was so utterly different. This, you know, if you live in a city, you know, or commute in a city, a, a vehicle like this is such a much better choice to have. You know, it's so much easier to maneuver, you know, to park. Absolutely. You know, and you have features in this like, you know, like active park assist. Um, you know, next generation active park assist that uh, all you have to do is hold down the button on the console and you, you don't have to do any steering. You don't have to shift back and forth between drive and reverse. You don't have to touch the brakes. It does that all automatically um, as you're, as it's backing you in to either par parallel or perpendicular parking space. Uh, what else? Oh, and then uh, upcoming, there's also going to be a plug-in hybrid version of this as well. Uh, which should be launching uh, probably sometime um, late winter, early spring. Uh, like you know, the Escape has. Like the Escape has. Um, but I, my guess is, uh, you know, we don't know yet because we haven't seen details on it yet, but my guess is that, that Lincoln is going to follow a similar pattern to what they did with the, the Aviator Grand Touring, which is make it more of a performance upgrade. So, uh, you know, instead of, you know, whereas the Escape has um, – a 2.5 liter naturally aspirated engine with their, with their hybrid, you know, it does about 190 horsepower. My guess is that we're going to see one of the turbocharged engines paired with the plug-in hybrid system and possibly even an electric, uh, electric motor on the rear axle where the escape plug-in hybrid is going to be front wheel drive only because the, the battery spans across under the front seats. And so you can't run the drive shaft through, but I'm guessing okay. that, the aviator, I wouldn't be surprised if the aviator had all wheel drive with an electric motor at the rear axle to supplement the front, uh, you know, which will get you 
somewhere, you know, somewhere probably between 350 and 400 horsepower total, you know, which, whereas the 2.3 liter or the two, two, the two, three currently does um, 295, which is, which is really good. But, you know, to have that extra power, you know, again, that would make it even more competitive with some of the, the premium European uh, marks. Right. Well, it sounds amazing. I can't wait to drive it. I don't know when I'll get the opportunity, but hopefully soon, because I mean, I think just Lincoln is absolutely killing it right now. And the way that they've rolled out their name changes and the products they're rolling out, they're just gorgeous. I I don't know if they're to continue with Matthew McConaughey, because I don't know. Did they address that at all? um, We didn't talk about that, but I mean, they just put out another commercial for the Aviator Grand Touring with McConaughey in it. Yes. So uh, we'll see. Uh, okay. I mean, it doesn't seem to be hurting them at this point. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Well, it's fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. The, the, um, there, there was there was one complaint um, dynamically that I had. I, there, okay. There were two complaints we had with the, the Corsair. Okay. One uh, was the almost complete absence of steering feedback, just like in the Escape. Um, oh, you know, so, so the weight, yeah. the weighting of the steering was fine, you know, and especially if you put it in an excite mode, you know, it had good effort, but you don't really feel what's going on at the, at the front wheels, you know, as you're cornering. So there's no, no feedback there, um, which most people that are going to buy this probably won't care anyway, but you know, for an enthusiast, you know, you, you want to have a little bit more information, you know, tactile information about what's going on. It wasn't the kind of disconnected feeling that you're, you're describing in the, in your Cadillac, but um, so that was that that was one issue. And then the other one um, had to do with one of the things that uh, Lincoln has changed this year. Uh, and I, th- I think the aviator actually had this, too, although I didn't notice this happening on the aviator. The, the button for the voice control uh, in the past, Ford and Lincoln have had that uh, in a series of buttons in one of the lower quadrants of the steering wheel. And on the, the new ones that. There's a button. The button for the voice control is now on the upper left-hand side. So when you're holding the steering wheel at the nine and three, the button is just above your left thumb. And, Hmm. you know, so you can, you can, you don't even have to move your hands at all. You can just, you know, reach your thumb up, tap that button to issue a voice command to the, to the sync three system, which is fine. That sounds really a good placement i like it, that. it is until you start get, driving on some twisty mountain roads and your hands are moving around on the steering wheel and i, I was driving with john volker uh formerly the oh, yeah. editor of uh, green car reports and both of us repeatedly were triggering the voice control as we were driving through you know driving down skyline boulevard oh, and some no. of the other mountain roads you know along the, the northern california coast and you know so every time we, we you know as we moved our hands on the wheel hit that inadvertently trigger that button and then the the voice command uh, thing would come up on the center screen and you'd have to you know somebody'd have to hit cancel on there <laughs> so that was a minor annoyance and again yeah. most most people driving this thing are probably never going to experience that right but it reminds me of this of the Alfa Romeo Stelvio where on the uh, Quadrifoglio where, where the uh the push button start is it's on the steering wheel and yeah. so if you end up parking it at an angle or something, then it's really awkward to start it. Yes. Yeah. It, yeah. The, the starter button is on the, uh, just below the left-hand uh, steering wheel spoke. Yeah. Um, and so, so trying to, you sort of have to locate it when you first turn the car, you know, trying to get the car to turn on. Exactly. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, it's again, as I said, it's minor annoyance. Um, you know, I, I think most people would learn to live with it, but it it, uh, it is a, a little quirk of this car. Right. But right. aside from that, you know, the rest of it was all really nice, really nice materials. Um, you know, the both of the we drove a, a two three and a two liter, both of which had this aluminum trim strip across the dashboard. It, they call it a pinstripe aluminum because it actually had some pinstripes carved into it. Um, so it cool. looks, it looks really, you know, really classy. It's a nice little touch. Yeah. Um, and you know, overall it's just a, it's a really nice looking vehicle. That's excellent. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, speaking of hybrids and plug-in hybrids, I also had the Toyota RAV4 hybrid, which is, uh, really competes almost directly with the, with the Ford Escape. Yeah. Uh, it's in the same segment as the Escape. Yes. So have you driven that yet? Um, I have not had the the hybrid. I had uh, a Rav Four briefly earlier this summer, and I think I talked about it. You know, I had an issue with um, Android Auto when I plugged in my phone. Um, it it kept um, rebooting the infotainment system, um, and so they took it back to check it out. And I haven't haven't been able to schedule back into a Rav Four again yet. Turns out uh, there was some kind of conflict between my particular phone, a Google Pixel Three, uh, and the infotainment system because other Android phones that they tried worked just fine. Uh, so oh. uh, I don't know if they've corrected that problem yet, uh, but uh, I haven't had a chance to get back into a Rav Four since then. So I did not have any such problems when I connected. It wanted me to, to download the Entune system thing, which I didn't. I didn't do yet. Um, I, maybe I will tomorrow, but I, I've mostly just because it doesn't support um, Android Auto. I really haven't played around with it, the telematics, very much uh, because it's just annoying. As I said, even today when I plugged it in, it wanted me to download something else. And but what I did find is that the hybrid is so loud <laughs> like when i'm backing up it makes this awful high-pitched whining sound and again i feel like i have these weird things or maybe i just notice things differently <laughs> than you and dan and other people but but it just it's as soon as i put it into reverse and it's just it's like huh. you know it's it's the um I mean, obviously, it's not an engine. It's not the engine noise. Again, it sees the the hybrid part of it. I find to be quite distracting and doesn't really enhance my driving. Now, I will say that if you're in stop and go traffic and you've you know you put the adaptive cruise control on and such, I think it's a it's a it's a fine choice. If you have a bearish commute, like you probably would in California, you know, and, and gas being high and such. But um, I find that it's it's just noisy. The whole the whole thing is noisy. I love again. I feel like I'm talking about the XT4 again. I love the exterior. I think the styling is super sharp. This one has the blacked out package, so it doesn't have any chrome on it black rims it's this beautiful dark blueprint blue metallic it's just gorgeous and you know again it looks fantastic and it's the size it's so much bigger 
that some of my my family first thought that it was the Highlander. I'm like, no, 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 this is the RAV4. It's just much bigger. And my brother has an old Escape, and we were kind of laughing. We're like, wow, it's like this. It's almost. I'm sorry, he has an old Explorer, and we were laughing, thinking like it's like practically the size of your Explorer because uh, his Explorer is like over ten years old. And it's just you know, again, it looks great. I, it's you know. There's a lot of really good features in it. The adaptive cruise control works really, really well. And, you know, I think it's cool. I was I was sort of trying to hypermile a little bit by uh, putting, you know, trying to use as much of the hybrid power as possible. And it's tough on some of the hills around where I live. But, it, you know, there's, it's, it's a RAV4. It's a good, reliable vehicle. The interior is terrific. But I just find the hybrid part of it to be loud it's got the 2.5 liter four cylinder uh you know it's the cvt is is very cvt ish yeah well that's typical (laughs) toyota it is it's very typical toyota um and even you know i've been leaving it mostly in normal drive i did put it in sport for a while to see if that kind of made it a little bit more engaging but you know, it's a Toyota with a CVT engine. It's it's not designed for performance. Um, the looks of it are great, but you know, again, I think if you've got a a commute that you know the hybrid would help you with the fuel economy, then go for it. I'm actually not getting that great fuel economy though. I'm I'm right around 38, which is what it you know the the city's 41, highways 38. I I guess I've been kind of mostly on highway, but. I just don't think it's all that great for, for, you know, what you're sort of, you're, I think you're giving up a lot uh, of comfort and quiet with the hybrid. And this one's 38,000 delivered, uh, 38,294. It starts at 33.7. And then um, that Entune premium audio is 1620. Uh, that includes navigation, which has actually worked out pretty well. Like the, the interacting with the telematics has actually been very good. It's very ergonomically friendly. It has a nice uh, charging pad right in the, you know, right where you would want it to be in the center console and it has a nice big cubby hole. So again, it's very easy to live with the, I like the fact that the second row seats tilt back and forth and you can get those really comfortable and it's very easy to get a fold flat floor as well. So we've been able, we've been going back and forth, uh, cleaning out my mom's house and, and able to transport a lot of stuff in this little, in, in this guy. And so it's, you know, I think it's a great vehicle for, for utility, for functionality and such. I just, I, I'm not all that sold on the hybrid part of it. Well, you said you got 38. Yes. So the the EPA rating is for combined is thirty nine. It's forty one city, thirty seven highway. For, oh, so the, so you're you're getting right on right on what it's rated at. I, which, I am. Which I is am. which is which is pretty good. I mean, you know, for for an SUV that size, you know, to get thirty eight miles per gallon, you know, I think that's that's reasonably impressive. It is. No, yeah. it, it it is. It is for sure. I mean, Coco probably gets about 27, 28. I, I know I mean I can get up to 30 um if I'm on the highway and not going really fast, which yeah. doesn't happen a lot. But <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's it's <laughs> um but, you know, it's good. Again, I think that there's there is a, a very definitive place for this type of vehicle in the marketplace and in somebody's in somebody's driveway. 
I, yeah. you know, and, and to your, to your comments on the size, you know, it's, it's actually not that far off the size of what the first generation Highlander was, you know, it's grown oh, that's a really lot. Funny. So, I, you know, I'm just, I yeah. just, as you were talking, I pulled up the, the specs on uh, KBB uh, for various years. So the first generation RAV4 four door, uh, two thousand, you know, 2000 model year was the first generation one. Um, right. It was 163.8 inches long. Um, the first generation Highlander, uh, you know, looking at a 2005 model, was 184.6 inches long. Oh, wow. That's the, a big difference. The, the new, the current RAV4 that, that yeah. just came out is 180.9 inches long. <laughs> so it's almost <laughs> as long as the original Highlander was. And yes. it's actually an inch wider than the, than the first generation Highlander was. Wow. So what is so, Highlander now? Um, it's quite a bit larger than that. Uh, give me a second here and I'll find it. Uh, yeah, it's gotta be over 200 then I think. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's a new one, you know, the 2020 model is coming right. out later this year, which I think is even going to be slightly larger than that. Uh, let's see. So 2017, I don't have the specs on the 2020 yet. So the, the 20, yeah. So the, the 2019 Highlander is 192 and a half inches long. So it's about a foot wow. longer than the RAV4 and uh, about eight inches longer than the first generation Highlander was. And it's, it's almost 76 inches wide. So it's three inches wider than the current RAV4. Wow. So Big. It, yeah, it has gotten a lot larger just as, you know, as pretty much all new vehicles have, you know, or each, yes. Each generation of a particular nameplate tends to get bigger and heavier than the one before. Well, mostly heavier. And recently, they've started to actually get lighter, even though they're getting bigger. They have actually started to get lighter over the last few years. Like the well, new Escape to steel, right? With yeah, the, the, yeah. The, the new Escape is two hundred pounds lighter. I mean, that's um, incredible, really. And, what and an the, achievement! The, Cor the Corsair is about a hundred pounds lighter than the MKC was, even though it's about it about an inch and a half longer than it was before. And it has a lot more and equipment in it. I was going to say, right. It has a lot more equipment, a lot more safety features. Yeah. No, the, the, I mean, the progression of vehicle size is just fascinating. And so, and um, I, I think, you know, this, the RAV4, I think I, I'm thrilled that there's a hybrid to it. I think that it, it will sell really, really well for them. This one had all wheel drive, which again, getting 38 with all wheel that's, drive. That's actually the only way really, you can get the RAV4 really hybrid is all wheel drive. Oh, is with all wheel drive. Okay. Yeah, well, that's good. I like that. And it's, you know? uh, it's, it's a, it's an electric all wheel drive too. So it, there's an electric motor on the rear axle, which yes. I think, I think that again, you know, that's, I think the approach that, uh, we're probably going to see from Lincoln for the plug-in hybrid escape or uh, Corsair. I mean, so what do you think that sound is that I'm hearing then? Uh, again, um, do you say, you said it's a whining sound. It's a whining sound in reverse. And, hmm. and, you know, maybe it, I'll try and, um, I'll try and, and record it I, tomorrow. Yeah. I know at various times, um, uh, to, you know, on some models, Toyota, uh, on some of their hybrids, Toyota has done, um, electric drive for reverse. So when you put it in reverse, it just uses the electric drive to back it up oh. rather than you, rather than turning on the engine. Um, it's for sure that. Yeah. And so it may be that the, the gear, the gear set that, you know, so it, if it's using the rear axle to drive it in reverse, which may yes. be the case, you know, the gears, when you're running them backwards, uh, it may be, 
uh, it it may be that may be what's making the noise. It's for sure that noise because it happens every single time, and there's never an instance that it hasn't okay. happened. Yeah, and it's it's annoying. I mean, you know, sort of like that bladder noise that you mentioned, right? It's kind of kind of odd because Toyota hybrids are usually very quiet. And in fact, I have I have a Lexus hybrid in the driveway right now mm. uh, that we'll talk about next week. But uh, you know, and it's it's very very quiet. So maybe I'm just being picky and cranky. I don't know. That could be. <laughs> You, you you have you haven't been on enough trips lately in the last couple of weeks. So maybe, exactly. you know, you've, been, you've been home for too many days in a row. So maybe that's the problem. <laughs> maybe that is the problem. <laughs> but First again, you know, I think I I would easily recommend the product. You know, to especially to people that have uh, you know a, a bad commute because it's great. You're getting great fuel economy. You're in a really nice vehicle. It's a nice size. I, I, it has heated seats. I, I love the ventilated seats. I have to say, uh, but, uh, but you know, overall, I think it's a, it's a great vehicle. It's, you know, it's, I think it's, it's, it, it does what it's supposed to do, and it does it really well. And again, the interior is really cool. They have this, um, they have a, a this blue, this bright blue line that runs through it's 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 a, like top stitching and it and it's it just has a nice feature to it you know it's things that they, they didn't have to do but make it better because it's there and again the you know the livability of this vehicle is very very good i will say i feel sometimes like i'm going to hit my head on the a pillar and um, just because the way that i have the seat positioned and that's not always the case so i i wouldn't mind it being a little bit less rakishly sloped but of course that's what gives it good looks too uh but overall i think the livability of this vehicle is is really high and people would enjoy it well that's great so, yeah, yeah so I, I, I only had a very brief time in in the uh in the rav um and i'm looking forward to actually trying it again but um it was you know i i, I like the way it looks you know i think it's definitely the best looking rav4 yet yes um, for sure i, I, I was never terribly fond of most of the earlier iterations of it but uh yes yeah. you know, this, this one this one's definitely good and you know i feel like it's really high tech again like you know it, it's kind of it it rewards you for buying the hybrid you know what i mean like it rewards you for it gives you that that you know nice high tech feel it has automatic headlamps um, that that are by the way incredibly bright like fantastically so uh, which i really enjoy and you know the the backup camera and the guidelines and things like that that are just they're really premium this has a nice premium feel to it overall which you know again when you think about the cadillac what cadillac stands for it doesn't have that same feel. And so if I'm comparing and, and you wouldn't ordinarily compare these two vehicles, but because I had them back to back, they're very similar in size. I, I just, you know, I, I really enjoyed being in the RAV4. Um, I didn't love driving it. I don't love the, the hybrid engine in certain cases, particularly going uphill. Again, I sort of feel like it's a little, you know, definitely is very dependent upon the engine. Um, but overall, it's just... You know, it's a it's a Toyota. It's a good vehicle. Yeah, and you generally can't go too far wrong with the Toyota. Exactly. Um, so uh, briefly, I I also I had one other car before uh, heading out to uh, California f to drive the Corsair, and that was the um, Honda Civic Type R, which um, I've driven oh, before. So fun. Yes. And 
Have you driven the Type R? I have. I it, loved it. <laughs> it is a fantastic car to drive. So it's, fun. It's, um, I'm not, you know, I, I have complained about the way it looks, you know, particularly the, that wing on the back, you know, and I actually recently saw one on the road here, a Type R that the owner had taken the wing off. So you just, you know, look, and it was black. Oh. So it looked more like a, a standard Civic hatchback, which isn't too yeah. bad. Cool. Um, you know, but you know, the thing is, if you can get past the way it looks on the outside, you know, and it, I'll admit it, it looks juvenile, you know, but who cares? <laughs> you get in the thing. Okay. It looks a little juvenile on the inside too, with the red and black seats and the red trim everywhere, but fine. Ignore all that. Just get in, press the clutch pedal down, hit the start button. And, you know, when you look out the, the rear window, the, the, the wing is contoured, you know, the, um, and it's up high enough. So it's actually above the, the top of the rear glass. So you don't even see the wing from inside the car. Right, so you have right, no you idea don't. that it's there once you're yep, inside. Exactly. So just close your eyes, get in the car and drive, <laughs> op, op, get in the car, open your eyes first, then drive. And you will have a ball with this thing. Yeah. It is a blast. You know, and they, Honda did an amazing job on the suspension on this thing, especially the, the front suspension. It's got this dual axis strut, uh, yeah. set up so that it it separates the, the different loads for steering and acceleration um from uh, to the front wheels so it virtually eliminates torque steer uh you know you pretty much you'll almost never really feel any torque steer in this thing and you know if you're driving into curves you know if you're, if you're driving on a track it's amazing but even even on the street you know diving into a curve you know you can um, trail the brakes into the curve and, you know, have the, the back end come around just a little bit. You can, it's really easy to control, um, you know, so you can place it exactly where you want on the road, you know, so you can get, you know, you, you don't have, it's not going to understeer on you. And it's actually, you know, so 307 horsepower from the two liter turbocharged engine. Um, you know, and it, it seems, you know, like this should be a really hardcore car, but it's actually surprisingly easy to live with. You know, even yes. on, you know, like the 30 or 35 series tires that were on this thing, it, you know, the ride quality is actually amazingly good. Granted, I don't think you'd want to hit any Michigan potholes with it <laughs> just because the, the sidewalls are so skinny. You're probably going to bend a wheel if you do that. But, you know, in terms of like frost heaves and things like that, you know, it it's actually a surprisingly supple suspension. It does a really good job of soaking everything up so it doesn't punish you. You know, it's it's really easy to drive as a daily driver. And it's so much fun because it just it's, goes. It does. It does everything you want it to do. I yeah. just remember thinking that it was, you know, you know how there's some cars that you kind of look at and you're like, oh, you're still here. Yeah. <laughs> and this one, this one was just it just was joyful. It's just joy. I mean, it's so much fun that I thought the manual transmission was incredibly good. So precise. And as you said, the steering was just impeccable and, but it was much more livable than expected. And there's nothing else really like it on the road because it it's, it's sort of like they've, they funked it up you know, from the factory though, <laughs> like from the showroom. So everything works on it. I mean, it just, it looks great. It's, it really brings it back to Honda roots, you know, in my mind. I love it. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's exactly the kind of car you want from a performance Honda. Um, and it's just it's just a ball to drive. And, you know, the the you know, the red trim and the red Honda badges, you know, will remind you what it is you're driving. You'll you'll never forget what you got, which, you know, nothing wrong with that. No, I again, I like that. I think it's I think they've they were a really good steward of the brand with this product and of the performance of their heritage. It celebrates driving, really. It celebrates old school manual transmission car driving. And and that's loads of fun. Absolutely. That's awesome. So, Did you have to give it back already? Uh yeah, unfortunately. I, I oh, dropped sad. it off at the airport when I yeah. went off on the Corsair <laughs> trip. Um oh, okay. But uh, yeah, I had it, I had it for a whole week, and uh, oh, yeah, it was great. it was it's a it's a hoot to drive. Um, yeah. And the the one I had was in this uh, sort of um, gray color. I forget what exactly oh, it was called. Like almost china gray, they call yeah. it something. Yeah. Yes. It, it's it's a it's a nice color. They um the you know the one the the one complaint that I think some people might have about it besides its looks. Um, you know, it also, it also has these massive Brembo brakes on it and, yeah. you know, they're, there's, um, they're steel calipers or steel, uh, uh, rotors and, uh, you know, pretty high performance brake pads on there and they, they do squeal a bit they, and, you know, make some mm -hmm. grinding sounds, but you know, if you want good brakes, that's one of the things you have to pay. For. That's one of the prices you have to pay. Right. Yeah. And if you complain about that, you don't understand it. Exactly. <laughs> In that case, you shouldn't be driving a, a type yes. R. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Glad you yeah. got that. That's great. Yeah. Cool. Acura is launching a new ad campaign. So they why don't you tell are. us about that? So they have a new ad campaign that is interesting. It's the tagline is less talk, more drive, which I like the tagline. I think that's clever. They're focusing on their heritage and they're focusing on their car heritage in particular. So um, we actually, I think tonight actually is when they're going to start showing some of the ads. Uh, they mentioned the NFL. I don't know if they're showing it tonight um, on Monday Night Football or not, but it basically is focusing on um, what they call their memorable sports cars uh, for the road and the track, similar, you know, no doubt to the origins of the Honda Civic, uh, but looking at things like the Integra Type R and the first generation NSX and such. What makes this so interesting to me is that they're focusing on cars. They're not looking at their crossovers at all, which is fine, except that crossovers are 70% of the market. And so at at least 70% of Acura's volume. Right. I mean, it's really narrowing in, you know, and so you're, you're talking to a very small percentage of the new car buyers segment because premium is running about 30% of new cars, 30 to 35%. And, and Acura plays in that premium space. And then you're focusing on their cars. And so again, you you've now doubled down on that 30% where now you're only talking to 30% of of your new car buyers and I think I don't know exactly what the split is on luxury, but I think it's pretty close to that. I think it's still following the market in terms of 70% SUVs now for luxury. I uh, and and I'll I'll look that up to confirm that, but I uh, it's you know, I think it'll be interesting to watch and see how this develops. They are targeting a younger consumer, uh, particularly with the digital media, 
which I think is actually a pretty good idea because anecdotally, when I talk to some people that are, say, under 35, uh, a lot of them actually haven't really driven that many sedans. They grew up in minivans and SUVs. And so they really enjoy driving a sedan. It's fun, you know, it's in a sports car and it gives you much more of that driving experience that Acura is trying to focus in on. And of course, the less talk, more drive also, you know, implies put down your phone and drive. And so, you know, it's a little bit more subtle, clever way of saying, you know, don't text and drive and and don't be on your phone, but just drive instead. So it's kind of a dual message there. But, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see how this does with them. And um, they're, you know, they're, they're rolling out a little bit, uh, what they call edgier styling and better performance. I don't know how you get much more edgier than some of what Acura has done <laughs> in the recent past. I actually like some of their more toned down versions of vehicles lately. So I'll be anxiously watching to see what they come out with. Well, I think the, the type S concept that they showed at Pebble beach mm. is, yeah, I think that's a, a clue clue as to where they're going with their design. Yeah, and it's it's a continuation of this you know precision design concept that they uh, brought out a couple of years ago, um, you know, and and that they have rolled out to things like vehicles like the RDX and and the refresh on the um, the um, ILX and and some of the other models, and you know I think the the that Type S that we saw is probably a preview of the next generation TLX. Um, which is you know probably going to be coming next spring. I think we'll probably see it uh, at the New York Auto Show most likely um, next right. spring. And you know, I, my guess is that you know if if this campaign, this theme continues for uh, for Acura, um, that we're probably going to see some additional ads, um, or maybe you know in some of the other mediums, you know, besides just the this TV commercial. Um, that start to feature, you know, some of the crossovers as well, you know, and get in, you know, vehicles like the RDX Aceback. Um, and, you know, we're probably, uh, I would guess, you know, sometime in the next year, we'll probably see next generation MDX as well. And, you know, perhaps there will be a, a performance oriented version of that, just like, you know, they have the M MDX Sport Hybrid now, uh, you know, and so a next generation version of that, could start to fit into this. So, because a lot of what you see in this ad, you know, is the heritage vehicles. You know, there's not right. a lot of the, the current generation vehicles. You know, you've got the NSX and the, the TLX and ILX. And actually there, there is an MDX in here, isn't there? Or is that an RDX? Yeah, there, there, there is, yeah. uh, it's the, it's the MDX, isn't it? Uh, actually it might be both of still. them. There, it looks like yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's, there's one on each, there's a crossover on each side. So it's probably both the, the MDX and the RDX, uh, one on each side. So, um, you know, even though, you know, the cars are front and center, the crossovers are still in there. And I think we're, we're probably going to see more of that. Uh, you know, last year I, I talked to John Akeda, who's the, the head of Acura. Um, and mm -hmm. you know, he, he talked about, you know, where Acura is going that, you know, they, they want to really get back to making it, uh, Honda's performance brand. Right. And so I think, you know, that regardless of which vehicles, you know, they're going to they're keep selling cars, 
but I think, you know, even, even on the utilities that perform, you know, comprise the bulk of their sales, that's where, you know, you, you're still going to see them moving towards a more of a performance orientation. Well, and I think that's a fine idea. I mean, the NSX is still just a stunningly fabulous vehicle. And so, you know, they, they have the chops for it. I, it's, it's, I think it's a, it's an interesting angle to, of approach, you know, towards this and I'll be anxious to see how it unfolds, but to your earlier point, they will be running network TV, cable and streaming video. And so they're, they're going to be putting this, we'll be seeing a lot of this out. uh, uh, And they're also doing what they call high profile NFL games. So I assume that's all my, my New England Patriots games. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) We'll see what happens there. Last week, uh, Hyundai made an interesting announcement with Aptiv. And for those that don't know, Aptiv is uh, a major tier one automotive supplier that uh, they, uh, a couple of years, the, the, the Aptiv name is relatively new. It's only been around a couple of years. Um, they, it was previously Delphi. Uh, and Delphi used to be GM's parts division before they got spun out by GM in the late 90s. Uh, they went through a long five year long uh, uh, bankruptcy reorganization in the, the mid 2000s. Uh, and then, um, you know, they came out, you know, in, in the early part of this decade, uh, you know, as a much more slimmed down company. And then a couple of years ago, they split the company in two. The powertrain systems division became Delphi Technologies. Uh, and, you know, they do fuel injection systems and um, electric motors and all kinds of other stuff. And then the electrical architecture and autonomous driving division became Aptiv. So now Aptiv is pairing up with Hyundai and their autonomous driving, their autonomous driving uh, group is going into a new joint venture with Hyundai, um, which seems to be a real um, you know, vote of confidence from Hyundai that they think that Aptiv is on the right track with their autonomous driving software and their, their systems. And um, so they're, they valued this joint venture as 50-50 ownership between Aptiv and Hyundai. They valued it at $4 billion. Aptiv is putting in their their AV team led by Carl and Yemma, and Hyundai is putting in cash and also some engineering resources to develop a robo-taxi platform with, with Aptiv. And they're going to offer this up to anybody that wants to use it for for robo taxi applications. Um, so you know they they plan to launch this you know make this vehicle available starting in uh, 2022. Um, and you know I think that's you know it's it's interesting that you know Hyundai until a couple of years ago was talking about you know they probably wouldn't have autonomous vehicles until the late 20s you know maybe even you know closer to 2030. And now all of a sudden they are partnering up with Aptiv. And this is one of a, a string of partnerships we've seen in the autonomous vehicle space recently with companies, um, you know, pairing up. We had Volkswagen earlier this summer um, buying a stake in Argo AI, you know, which is also partly owned by Ford. And, and so they're working together. Uh, you know, we've had Honda uh, hooking up with GM Cruise uh, and, and there's been a, a lot of other partnerships as well. So it's it's interesting that that uh, Hyundai and and Aptiv are pairing off to uh, to do autonomous systems and robo taxis. It is, and I actually 
think this is a really good pairing because it keeps Hyundai in its swim lane and it keeps Aptiv in its swim lane, but they're both in the same pool. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so- I mean, it's, they're, they're bringing very complimentary stuff together because Aptiv doesn't build cars and they don't build. Right. They, they build a lot of the stuff that goes into cars, but they don't build the cars. Hyundai is developing the vehicle platform and Aptiv is developing the autonomous driving system that's going to go on that vehicle platform. And it gives them such a global, pre- it gives Aptiv such a global presence because of course, you know, Hyundai is so huge globally that, you know, and, and, and doesn't just make cars and trucks, like they make a lot of other things. And so this could really be an incredible opportunity for Aptiv to, to spread its technology in, in many parts of the company. So it'll be really exciting to see what happens. Yeah, I think I think it'll be good for good for both companies. Yeah, for sure. But I also, you know, this it reminds me just reading over things again, you know, as we said, like that idea of, you know, let's the way that we get first of all, I, th- I think this timeline is a little unrealistic, though. That's the only thing I will say is that they're starting they, they want to start testing their systems in 2020, which is, you know, that's 2020 is over in 15 months. <laughs> so let's well, think about that. I mean, right? I, I mean Aptiv uh, has been testing, you know, developing their technology for several years now. Uh, and in fact, you know, they they were actually the first ones to really launch a commercial um, robo-taxi service in Las Vegas uh, last year at CES, 2018 oh, right. at, at CES. Yeah. So, you know, like 11 months before um, Waymo you know, soft launched their Waymo One service in Arizona. Um, Aptiv did the same thing in Las Vegas with Lyft in a partnership with Lyft. Right. Uh, and, you know, they have given, given I think, over 75,000 paid rides now in Las Vegas with their fleet of vehicles. Now, granted, no, none of them, not Aptiv or Waymo or anybody else, are operating without safety drivers yet. But they are, you know, they have been operating these vehicles and giving rides to customers. Um, you know, and Aptiv has also been um, part of a pilot program in Singapore since late 2016, again, doing uh, robo taxi services and in, uh, in partnership with the Singapore Land Transit Authority, providing um, first mile, last mile services to connect um, residents of the city to uh, mass transit services, you know, to, to take people to and from train stations. So you don't think this timeline is unrealistic then it sounds well, like Well not 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 for testing you know so you know my guess is that you know what uh, Hyundai will probably do is use their their next generation um or actually they they may be using their fuel cell platform from the Nexo because that's actually what they've already been testing because they uh Hyundai's been working with Aurora Chris Ermson's company uh mm-hmm. for the past year and a half and they they have vehicles they have uh Hyundai Nexos that they've been testing in Korea with the Aurora platform on there. So my guess is that, you know, what we will probably see is Hyundai create more of a shuttle type of vehicle on their fuel cell platform, or perhaps on their next generation EV platform, um, and then apply Aptiv's technology on top of that. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I mean, this, what I'm reading now, it says, if the venture receives approval from regulators, it should close in the second quarter of 2020. So, I mean, I assume that they are able to work together prior to that, but maybe not. It just seems, I guess I'm just looking at some of these timelines and thinking 2020 was 
always so far away and now it's not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and there was a lot of stuff that was supposed to be done by 2020 <laughs> that yeah, isn't I mean, done le- yet. <laughs> le- legally, I don't think that they're actually allowed to work to together. Do anything, yeah. Right. Until but, the regulators. But each one, it. each one can be working on their parts of it independently. So, right, you know, exactly. Hyundai can be developing, you know, the vehicle platform and Aptive is in ongoing development on their AV platform. So, you know, then it's just a matter of integrating the two. Sure. That makes sense. Well, and then speaking of some of these deals, the Amazon order of a hundred thousand Rivian vans. Yeah. I think this is fantastic. So I'm curious what, what you, you know, why, why do you think it's such a great deal? Because I think this is how we get electric vehicles into the mainstream through the commercial lane as opposed to expecting consumers to take this on. And so suddenly you're going to start to see your Amazon products being delivered. And for for background, this is um, Amazon and Rivian has, they've agreed on uh, a, a six-figure order to buy uh, 100,000 Rivians, uh, electric vehicles, electric vans specifically. Um, they're going to be custom built for Amazon Prime deliveries. Uh, and I think it's a really, really cool idea. And this is Amazon had already made a $700 million investment in Rivian earlier in um, 2019, back in February. So I like the idea because it gives the the viewing public the opportunity to see electric vehicles on the road without having to make the commitment. And it brings a more familiarity to them. They can talk to their driver, you know, the, the delivery guy, Hey, what do you think of that? It's electric. What do you, are you having range issues? How do you charge that thing? It allows them to sort of the neighborhood effect that we talk about with when we think about electric vehicles and it brings it into your neighborhood and it brings it into a space that is familiar to you and but that is risk free for you relatively speaking unless you know unless your the package is is dependent it doesn't get there for some reason but you know <laughs> you don't have to you're not making that investment but you're still learning about the technology and so that's why i really like this deal i th- i think it's uh, i think it's a way to to De- to demystify the electric vehicle uh, through the commercial space. No, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, commercial applications are actually, um, they, economically, they make a lot more sense for EVs right now than individual consumer sales because, you know, the av- average person drives about twelve to 15,000 miles a year. Uh, in many cases, a lot less than that. And, to you know, be, the cost premium for an EV and the the potential fuel savings, you know, over the course of a year relative to uh, a fairly efficient gas powered car, um, make it very difficult to um, to justify the cost of an EV for an average consumer. You know, the, the example I've been giving people a lot lately is the Kia Niro. You know, the the base Kia Niro is a, a fifty mile per gallon hybrid that costs twenty three thousand dollars. The Kia Niro EV, great EV, goes 239 miles on a charge, uh, and but it costs $39,000. And so even after the tax breaks, you're still looking at about an $8,000 to $8,500 cost premium to get the EV. And when you compare it to that 50-mile-per-gallon hybrid, it, the payback time in fuel savings 
is going to be about 30 years for the average consumer, which is wow. that's, <laughs> you know, and, you know, depending on what you're, you know, what vehicles you're making the comparison to, like, you know, if you were comparing it to say a 35 mile per gallon, you know, compact car, you know, then that shortens, but it's still going to be, you know, in the 15 to 20 year time frame for, for a lot of these vehicles. So um, for, for most consumers buying an EV from, from purely from an economic standpoint, not, not from an environmental standpoint, but purely based on the numbers, it doesn't make sense to buy an EV, but for commercial applications like Amazon, you know, and their prime deliveries, you know, or any other delivery company or for buses and things like that, the operating costs are a much bigger component of the overall cost of ownership because, you know, these vehicles are driving 80 to a hundred thousand miles a year, or in some cases much more, you know, as much as 150 to 200,000 miles a year. And you're talking about vehicles that in their internal combustion form might be getting four five, six miles per gallon. Um, and so the savings, when you go from a, you know, from a, you know, sub 10 mile per gallon vehicle, that drives upwards of 100,000 miles a year to an electric version of that are enormous. And the payback period is now, you know, the difference, you know, is maybe two or three years versus, you know, 15 to 20 years. So it actually makes a lot of economic sense for companies like Amazon to do this. And, you know, for, you know, so th this is this is big for Amazon because, you know, they have increasingly been moving their logistics operations in-house, you know, instead of relying on companies like FedEx and UPS and DHL for deliveries, they're increasingly doing it themselves, you know, so you see the Amazon Prime vans in your neighborhood and, you know, in the city streets all the time now, and they're typically using Ram Promasters and, and uh, Mercedes Sprinters. Uh, and so there, there's going to be huge savings for Amazon. And then this is also an enormous uh, vote of confidence for Rivian. The fact that Amazon has looked at Rivian and thought, okay, these guys have, they have a, you know, an impressive electric platform that we can build a custom delivery vehicle on. So now you've got a startup that, you know, has, you know, that this deal is like over about four years, you know, so you're talking about 25,000 vehicles a year just for one customer. And I think, you know, Rivian was planning to do, you know, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty-five to thirty thousand of their of their trucks annually to start with their trucks and SUVs, and then um, you know whatever uh, Ford uh, decides to use. So you know they were only going to have a capacity of about I think to start of about fifty thousand vehicles from their uh, from their plant in Illinois. So this you know pretty much uses up all their capacity. So that that gives them a lot more scale and, and, you know, gives you know, the economics for them uh, for Rivian, you know, now start to make a lot more sense because you've got, they're, they're going to be selling premium vehicles at a premium price point, you know, under their own brand. They're going to be selling these vehicles to Amazon, potentially to other customers. And so, you know, it's, uh, I think Rivian is actually going to be, you know, a real, a, a potentially really strong competitor in the EV space both for personal use vehicles, but also for commercial vehicles. And, uh, you know, I think it will help the, the adoption of electric vehicles overall. It will. Absolutely. The other part too, is that, you know, I ran into my postman and he said, he goes, Oh my gosh, he goes, these Amazon prime deliveries are driving us crazy because of course they've, they, as you said, they backed away from some of the major carriers. And so the USPS now is more dependent. However, 
the your local mailman's truck or mail person's truck is not optimized for packages. It's optimized for letters. And he said that what he's finding is that he has to go back to the post office to reload because they're overloading his truck and he just doesn't have the room. So he goes back and forth and back and forth, which uses more gas, is more inefficient, is more you know, it's more pressure on the environment. So there's a lot of issues with trying to get these packages to people's places, to their delivery places. And so if you've got a custom made van, they're going to be able to deliver much more efficiently. Besides, they're going to be able to deliver, you know, with without emissions, except for the whatever the electricity generates. But, uh, but then to your point, so Sam, the only thing I wonder is, Will this, what kind of effect, I should say, would this have on uh, on a consumer looking and saying, you know, will this, will this put Rivian too much on the commercial side? You know, I don't know any consumers that desire to, you know, to drive a Mac car, for instance. Uh, well, you know, I mean, it's, you know, most people are probably not even going to realize that it's a Rivian platform under there. Yeah, you know, okay. it, it may it may not even have any branding. It may it may it's in all likelihood yeah. it will only have Amazon branding on it. So Fair you'll enough, never, right. you know, they'll they'll never, you know, unless they happen to be paying very close attention, they'll probably never even realize that this is from Rivian. Right. Um, okay. Just, you know, just just as for you know for other commercial vehicles, you know, I don't I don't think people notice you know that it's a Ford Transit or a Mercedes Freightliner or Ram Promaster. Well, it's funny because when you see the Mercedes Sprinters that we see around here, sometimes I wonder sometimes like what a consumer, what a, what a Mercedes owners think about the the fact that they're, you know, so it'll be interesting, but it's such a fantastic deal for Rivian. And as you say, it's a really a brand that I don't think a lot of people outside the industry has ever heard of because it's so new. Right. And so it's, it's just an incredible way to, you know, to, to get them off. I mean, it's between this investment and the Ford investment, it's really, it's, it's really incredible. Yeah. And, you know, for, you know, given that, you know, the Amazon prime vans do a lot of deliveries in residential neighborhoods, you know, having electric vans, you know, that are quieter and cleaner will be, you know, much better for people living in those neighborhoods and also in the cities where they're also doing a lot of deliveries. Absolutely. No, I think it's, 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 as we said at the very beginning of this topic, the commercial space is I really ideal for EVs. Now, as an engineering expert, do you think there's going to be battery longevity issues with all those miles put on them? Like, how do you think they'll handle that? that you know, that depends a lot on the, the battery technology that Rivian's using, which we don't really know much about yet. Uh, they haven't revealed many details on that yet. Um, but my guess is that, you know, we, um, we've actually been finding, you know, over the the first 10 years of the modern EV era, the batteries are mostly lasting pretty, you know, a lot longer than they anticipated, you know, and they, they used them fairly conservatively to start with and durability is actually holding up pretty well for most of the EV batteries. Uh, So, um, you know, I, I would guess that, uh, you know, for this kind of application, that they're going to be fairly conservative. Um, you know, the, the uh, Amazon prime vans don't run, you know, 24 hours a day. You know, they, they typically, you know, only run, you know, during the day, they're not running at night. 
Um, so, you know, they probably don't, they, you know, one of the things that damages batteries is too much, uh, high speed, you know, ultra fast charging. I don't think Amazon's going to need to do that with these, you know, they can charge them at a, at a slower rate, you know, of, you know, say, you know, 20 kilowatts, you know, 20 to 30 kilowatts, maybe 50 kilowatts rather than a hundred or 150 or 350 kilowatts and still get, you know, the use they need out of them. So I, I, I expect they'll probably be fine. Okay. That's good to know. No, that's cool. I'm excited for them. I think it'll be really fantastic to see this roll out. Uh, the, and one of the other things too, when I was working on the um, electric vehicle uh, barrier report for the government was that we looked at one of the issues that we had with trying to convince like municipalities and even some companies to make these kinds of investments was that a lot of the times they would say, you know, the executive is saying here, you need to invest, you know, $10 million in this. Uh, but we we aren't going to receive the we are not going to see the return on this investment, you know, for seven, eight, ten years. And people would be like, you're not even going to be here anymore, you know. Yeah. And so there was always a sort of discussion of it was such a long term buy, you know, a long term um, return on investment that nobody wanted to make it. And of course, with Amazon, you know, Jeff Bezos really isn't going anywhere, and so he can and, make and those kinds. He tend, he tends to think long term. You know, he does. He, you know, over over the history of the company, you know, he's invested billions of dollars in infrastructure, uh, you know, for his fulfillment centers, for Amazon Web Services and, and everything else, you know, which is why their their profits have tended to be on the low side through most of the company's history, because they've mm. he's been making investments, you know, in in technologies and infrastructure that the company needs to thrive over the long term. Right. Absolutely. So he does think long term. And again, this is I just think it's such a great opportunity to, to, for other companies to follow this example as well. So it will definitely be fun to watch. Yeah. And also to your, your comment, you know, on uh, the, the economics of this, you know, for, you know, one Amazon delivery van or one delivery van period going from diesel to electric will probably because of the miles it drives and, you know, where it's starting from a relatively low fuel economy standpoint, each one of those vans will probably have more environmental impact than 20 people buying Teslas. Absolutely. Or any electric vehicle. <laughs> yeah, or, or any EV. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the, it, it really does may have a, a much more significance than, you know, individuals buying EVs. So even, even, even if seeing electric Amazon vans doesn't encourage people to go out and buy an EV, just their presence has an impact. Yes, I agree completely. So now I'm excited about it. One last EV story before we call it a night. Uh, okay. Canoe. Yes. Have you heard of Canoe? I have heard of Canoe. What That's do you think of say. Canoe? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me give, give the listeners a quick background. So uh, back in late 2017, uh, a couple of former BMW executives, Stefan Krauss and Ulrich Kranz, uh, who were then working at Faraday Future, left Faraday Future as it was going into its extended death spiral. And uh, they took along a whole bunch of Faraday engineers and designers uh, with them. And they started a new car company across town in, uh, in Irvine uh, called, at the time, called E-Velocity. And uh, earlier, a, couple, a few months ago, E-Velocity uh, rebranded themselves as Canoe. And that's C-A-N-O-O, -O, not C-A-N-O-E, which is the more typical spelling of Canoe. 
Uh, I do not continue it to canoodling. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so this this past week, they unveiled their first product, uh, which uh, is also called Canoe. So it's Canoe the company and Canoe the vehicle. And uh, so this thing, you know, is a little, I described it as a lozenge on wheels. Um, You know, it's, it's it's a minivan that's actually surprisingly small. Um, you know, it's, it's only 174 inches long. So it's, it's shorter than your, your typical compact crossover these days. Uh, If it was pink and white, it would look like Cinderella's carriage, but (laughs) with wheels instead of the pretty horses. It's not pretty. No, it's not. Um, (laughs) but it's interesting. Uh, you know, it's, it's built on the skateboard chassis uh, where everything is by wire, you know, and all the mechanical and electrical systems are contained within the skateboard. So it's a brake by wire, steer by wire, accelerate by wire, you know, the battery pack and the motors and the suspension are all tied together. So this thing is completely self-contained and then you can just drop different top hats on it. And so the first one they showed is this monobox minivan type of thing that they claim, even though this thing is about the size, you know, it's like six inches shorter than an escape or a Honda CRV. It, they claim it's got 188 cubic feet of passenger volume inside because, you know, you don't have to leave space in the front for an engine. And, you know, it basically, you can just expand the passenger volume to fill the entire volume of this vehicle. And it's got this in the back, you know, you got two seats in the front and then in the back, there's lounge seating around the perimeter of the back of the this vehicle. Um, have, have, did you get a chance to take a look at the uh, the photos of the thing? Sadly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just I don't, I don't know. I'm not a fan. Okay, <laughs> you keep talking. Well, <laughs> well, what I, I think what's actually more interesting. I mean, about is it going to be self-driving? Is that what they're trying eventually, to Eventually, yeah. I mean, you know, I think event eventually, um, I think, you know, where where things get interesting with this one is, you know, the potential for, you know, for autonomous ride hailing services. That I can that I can see. I mean, the interior actually looks really beautiful. It looks really cool. It's much better on the inside than the outside. The inside yeah. is I mean, the outside is just it, it it's. It looks like a pod, but not in a cool Jetson way. It yeah. just it just looks weird. It just looks like a a, a gelatinous mob blob. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't. I don't disagree with you. It's 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 not it's not a pretty vehicle. It's not a pretty vehicle. But uh, it's also a vehicle that you won't be able to buy. Well, that's good because I don't want to. <laughs> It it will only be available by subscription. Um, so, you know, you, you pay a flat monthly fee uh, that is all inclusive, includes the vehicle and the service and um, uh, uh, insurance and everything. And that's it. So one, you know, monthly fee. And whenever you, whenever you, you don't want it anymore, you just turn it back in. Or if you want to change to one with a different color or whatever, you can swap it out every month. Okay, I'm I'm never one to say that things aren't going to work, but hasn't every subscription service gone out of business so far? Uh, no, not all of them. Uh, Porsches is still running. Um, uh, there's a company called Fair, 
which actually just bought Canvas, which was uh, okay. Ford's yeah. uh, subscription division. They're um, not thriving, though. They're, they're not thriving yet, but they're still experimenting with the model. So, okay. you know, I and, and Care by Volvo apparently is doing pretty well. Uh, it's at least it's it's popular. I don't know if it's profitable, but it's popular among customers. Okay. Um, and, and some of the other ones are, are reasonably popular as well. The, the dealers don't like it, but you know, the, the customers seem to like it. Well, so, it's I mean, mobility as a service, right? Yeah. And it's, that's, it's exactly that's what, what they're playing into. Yeah. And this is one of the potential service models that, that might work. So we'll see, but it's, it, it's interesting. I think we'll, we'll have to keep watching this. You know, Ulrich Kranz, um, is the CTO of uh of canoe and acting ceo at the moment uh stefan kraus uh recently had to step down to deal with some family matters um but uh kranz was the um he was the head of development on the bmw i3 and i8 uh well, so that's why it looks like the, what it looks like then because the i3 looks like a little bubble too <laughs> yeah. well but he, he wasn't the, he wasn't the, the designer is though it's hot yeah <laughs> No, there, I mean, there's very qualified people running this and, and I shouldn't be so cynical. Um, I think I like it, you know, I like it for the self-driving for that level five. I can see it. It, it sort of does a but lot. It's going to be a long time before it's level about. five. I'm sorry. It's going to be a long time before it's level five. It's going to be a very long time before it's level at, five. At, for, at first, so, it's only going to be level two. Yes. Well, but I, but I'm looking at it you know, if this is what my daily driver is going to be uh, in a level five world, I think it's really attractive from that standpoint. I just, I don't know what it will look like. You know, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of pictures of the, of the cockpit and stuff like of the driver's seat. I, all I see are well, there, there, a couple, but yeah, there, there isn't, the there isn't much there. You know, it's okay. basically just a bar across it with the, the steering wheel module and the, the pedals hanging below it. And it's actually uh bring your own, bring your own device for the screen. Um, oh, I like that. So, you know, instead of building in a touchscreen, you bring your phone or your tablet and you dock it in there and you run the, um, the canoe app. And yeah. so you can customize the interface, you know, with whatever information you want on there, you know, whatever, uh, apps you want to use to, you know, for media oh, okay, streaming here, and I things like it. that. Right. Volks, Volkswagen showed that uh, a couple, a number of years ago now on in Geneva. And I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. They've shown it on a couple of different concepts over the years. So that's what Canoe is actually planning to do when they launch in 2021. Okay. All right, cool. Well, so. that'll be really interesting. I mean, it, it's, again, the, the exterior is not at all appealing to me. The interior is beautiful. Yeah, it's 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 different. That's a good way to describe it. <laughs> okay, and with that, let's call it a show. And, uh, that sounds great. <laughs> uh, for uh, for those of you listening who like the show, like what you heard, you know, please feel free to go into iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever whatever you happen to use to listen to the show and and give us a rating and a review. Um, and then uh, you know, if if this is your first time listening, if you're not a regular subscriber, subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you get every every episode automatically. It, you know, it'll just uh, be there for you as soon as it's ready. As soon as we're as soon as we as soon as we're ready, it'll be ready for you. Um, yes. And, and oh, before I forget, we yeah. have to. I have to give a shout out to one of our listeners, uh, Blake Swan, who sent me a lovely email. Uh, says how much he enjoys the podcast he also asked do you guys take questions for the podcast or have a place to reach out for podcast questions and yes 
We do. So you can yep. always send them on Twitter. You can send them on Twitter to WheelBearingsCast. Uh, you can also go to WheelBearings.media, which is the website. And there's a, a contact link at the top there. And you can uh, just put in your question in there and it'll show up in our inbox. Uh, so feel free to, to reach out to us either of those ways. Yes. All right. We'll see you next time. Excellent. Thanks. Bye. Bye.